Catholics venerate Mary as Our Lady, Queen of Heaven. But one is bound to wonder, how exactly does that work? I mean, sure, she's the Theotokos, the Mother of God, but how in the hierarchy of being can she possibly rank with the cherubim, the seraphim, and angelic choirs, and not just with them, but above them? And if Mary is the Regina Celli, uh, then what does it say about the church's relationship to the angels and the nations and the Christian era? Welcome to this episode of the Ex Umbris podcast. We consider these poignant questions in light of what we've been discussing about angels. This is Scholar McClarney, and with me is none other than Schoolman, Schoolman Fawcett. Uh, and uh, if this is your first uh, rodeo with Ex Umbris, we are uh, classical Catholic teachers at the Chesterton Academy of St. Isidore which is an online school. So if you are interested in enrolling in Chesterton Academy and there's not a brick and mortar handy to you, uh, please look us up. We're based out of Canada, Alberta. And uh, if you are curious, well, okay, that sounds great, but what's the quality of the instruction? Uh -oh. Well, boy, I've got good news <laughs> for you because today's episode is going to be a lecture from our headmaster, Scholarch Dr. McClarney. Uh, on a topic of great religious significance, um, and you've already kind of teased what that's going to be about. It's Our Lady Queen of Heaven. Uh, so you, you've got a prepared uh, lesson for to teach me today. I'm the student sure, today. Sure, sure. Well, seems imminently fitting since you're the headmaster and okay. I'm just a lowly schoolman. Um, <laughs> so I can't wait to, to see how I do in this oh, okay. lesson. Okay, all right. Well, we'll have a, well, I guess it would be fitting to have a few pop quizzes as we go along, but we won't, we won't press you too hard, uh, at least... Not no, that's what, we're, that's what we're that's about what we're at this for. academy, okay, that's you know, true, that's it's, true. Uh, pressing students, you yeah. know, to excel. Yeah, right? and part of it is we expect you to kind of remember some things that you've learned in the past, so much water has passed uh, before us already, as we've been discussing, if you've been following along. Uh, now, listeners might even be able to stitch together a semblance of an answer, uh, perhaps, as to how does the Blessed Virgin, the Queen of Heaven, fit into the cosmological vision uh, that includes angels? I mean, after all... Isn't there already a heavenly host? So um, I, I might even invite listeners just pause and right now uh, what you're listening to and venture an educated guess. All right, well, welcome back. Uh, now, as a, <laughs> as a uh, Catholic, I mean, I have, I'll be fully honest, I, I'm really unreflective. Uh, for most of my uh, childhood, really it wasn't until I was an adult, um, when it struck me uh, about Mary's uh, status vis-a-vis -vis the angels. And actually, it wasn't even in my liturgical tradition. It was when I was in a, a Byzantine liturgy, the Divine Liturgy mm. of St. John Chrysostom, where it says that Mary is honored, uh, more honored than the more cherubim. Honorable than the cherubim, and, yes. and, and more glorious. Beyond compare uh, yeah, than beyond the cherubim. Rank, yeah, beyond rank, right? Compared to the seraphim. And it struck me like, whoa, okay, so... Um, uh, now, I'm curious, uh, School of Fawcett here, who uh, as an adult became a Catholic, from your background, what was your take on this, this uh, you know, calling Mary a queen of heaven? What, what do you think? Oh, it, it just seemed like the bizarrest thing in the world to me. Well, I remember, in fact, uh, being a Protestant, uh, an evangelical, and reading in the book of Jeremiah about uh, the Jewish people in Egypt in exile. Uh, baking cakes to the queen of heaven yeah. and pouring out drink offerings to the queen of heaven and jeremiah has to upbraid them for this so they stop doing it and they say well ever since we stopped worshiping the queen of heaven things have gone worse for us so yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean for a non-catholic who's who maybe has a propensity to even be anti-catholic here you got in the bible people uh worshiping the queen of heaven by baking uh cakes with her face in it uh, and then complaining, you know, that, oh, this seems to be working for us. Why are you harshing our vibe by trying to get rid of our devotion to the Queen of Heaven? It's like, oh, these were the Catholics of their day, right? Yeah. Eating eating yeah. cookies and cakes and baked goods as part of their worship and honoring the Queen of Heaven. That just seemed completely uh, pagan and idolatrous to me at the time. Okay, right, right. And so this would be interesting uh, take then when you're looking at the Catholics. Well, they've got it all mixed up. It's, it's like they're back in Egypt. Uh, and mm -hmm. they haven't got it figured out between um, the Lord God and uh, these other heavenly figures. Like, they're just confused, mm -hmm. uh, right? That sort of covenantal confusion uh, would be your assumption, I guess. That was, that's how you looked at things. Yeah, just like in the Old Testament. I mean, the thing about the Old Testament is it doesn't seem like the Hebrews ever stop worshiping God exactly. They just add a bunch of other gods, right? Right, right, right. right. Yeah. On, on the side, you could yeah. say. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's just what Catholicism seemed like at the time. Like, yeah, yeah sure, they still worship the Holy Trinity, but they've got a whole bunch of gods on the side for odd jobs here and there, you know, yeah, <laughs> to right. get, get stuff done for them, you know. Right. Now, um, let me set the stage a little bit, but I'm guessing few Christians, I mean, perhaps there are some, but most probably wouldn't have a problem with saying Mary is blessed among women or all generations will call her blessed because, I mean, those words are straight from uh, Luke's Gospel. But again, Queen of Heaven, that might have a little more uh, reservations there, perhaps. Now, I think most Catholics, if they heard you say that, well, they might just point to Revelation 12, right? And say, hey, well, and, and why not? Well, of course, there's, you have John the Elder, who had, first sees this great portent in heaven, and there's a woman there with the, uh, the sun, uh, called the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown with 12 stars, uh, who bears a son, uh, right? Uh, so, uh, who will rule the nations with an iron rod, we're told. So, uh, perhaps, you know, this this might seem, well, who could it be? Uh, who mm. will bears a son? Well, this is Mary. And now, it, looking in that passage, well, let's, let's just roll with that for a little bit. So, in Revelation 12, we hear the son uh, will actually uh, rule the nations with an iron rod, which is a direct reference back to Psalm 2. Uh, there's also echoes there of Deuteronomy 38, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, as well as Psalm 82. And, okay, let's just pause for a second and get some background on those Psalms and, and Deuteronomy as well. We've talked about this in the past, but Psalm 2 is a messianic preface to this altar, right? Mm -hmm. do you, do you, are you familiar with Psalm 2, or do you remember off the top of your head? Oh, uh, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Psalm 2 gets quoted a lot. Yeah. Uh, in the New Testament, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. That's right. Yeah. I always, I always think it's funny when people say the Bible never shows Jesus laughing because yeah. it does. It shows him laughing at the destruction of the <laughs> nations who yeah. take counsel together against him. You know. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, in that take counsel, that that um, is also echoing Psalm one. So Psalm one and two uh, kind of preface the entire Psalter, but Psalm one talks about. T uh, taking counsel with the scoffers, right? Or, or sitting with sinners and so on. Mm -hmm. So here now it's the nations, or well, the kings and the judges of the nations are taking counsel together against who? Well, against the Lord and his anointed. Mm -hmm. uh, so his Christ, mm -hmm. his Christos, our Meshach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, now, if you haven't done so yet, do yourself a favor and listen to Handel's Messiah, who does wonders mm -hmm. with, with those lyrics as he sets them uh, to music. Mm -hmm. But these... Uh, Archon in, in Greek it would be Archon, the rulers of the um, the nations of these kings, these judges. They've they've counseled together uh, and uh, they're trying to burst his bonds asunder. So in other words, uh, usurp uh, or go up against the Lord's anointed, his, his Messiah, his Christ. Mm, they, don't, they don't want to be ruled by him. That's right. right. They want to break free of his reign. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then sure, okay, you probably remember too the, the what does what does God say from the heavens? You are you are my son. This day I have begotten thee. That's right. Yeah. So now those are familiar words for anyone, uh, you know, who's read through the, the New Testament. Uh, now, also the, the mention, though, of the nations and inheriting the nations, uh, that uh, connects back to um, Deuteronomy 32 as well, right? Uh, which, what do we find there in Deuteronomy 32 again? Well, Deuteronomy 32, and if you have been listening to the last four episodes, you should all have this burned into your brains by now. But that's where uh, there's a reference to, probably to the Tower of Babel, it says that God had divided the nations and appointed, uh, well, according to the sons of Elohim, uh, according to the angels, right? Basically, that God divided all the nations up and assigned them each their own angel or spirit, uh, except for Israel. Yeah. Uh, Israel is sort of unique. It's not really a nation. It's sort of the only true humanity that's left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's okay. So, so this is the, the nations which have their, their, their rulers, their archons, uh, angels, and so on. And, um, right, right. and so here, what we see in Psalm 2 is that uh, they're no match for God. Uh, right, and so uh, the rulers of the nations or his anointed, uh, because it's like a, a rod of iron going up against uh, potted vessels. Okay, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a no contest. And, and Paul will, um, in, in like Corinthians, uh, particularly, he talks about judging, he uses that same term for judging that we see in Psalm 2 the judges uh, who are conspiring, uh, counseling against the anointed. And he uses that, that verb, that term for Christ judging us for judging lawsuits, for uh, the Corinthians getting their act together and judging themselves. And not only this, but he says they will, and this is in uh, chapter 6, they will judge the entire world. Mm. And not only the Corinthians judge the entire world, but angels. Uh, now, can you believe that? I mean, where mm. does 
Paul get that confidence from that with this cosmological elevation of these like hapless Corinthians, surely. Mm. <laughs> yes, they're not, they're not in a great state, these yeah. Corinthians. But, but they're said to possess the world and indeed all things. So how, how can that be? Well, I'm going to suggest uh, this is echoing the vision of Psalm 2 with the Son possessing the nations uh, and those who are in him uh, participating in that 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 ring. Uh, now you mentioned um, Deuteronomy 32. We also see um, the uh, spiritual rebellion uh, going back to Genesis 3, Genesis 6, Genesis 11, which is all uh, connected in there, and then uh, Psalm 82, which um, Jesus quotes in John's Gospel. Uh, this speaks of God judging the fallen Elohim, or, or in Greek, the angels. The rebellious ones and then finally how does that psalm end uh, do, you, do, you, do you recall how that psalm Ooh, ends uh, let me run through this uh, oh the last verse how does it uh, oh god well, it's, okay fair enough but, you read, you read, well I, okay, I think well, how it's quoted in the New Testament yeah, sure, sure. what's, what's the general uh, movement or thrust of the psalm how does it kind of culminate well that's not ooh, I'm, see I'm worried that I'm confusing it with Psalm 110 oh, okay. that's what I'm afraid of because that's, that's that one is uh, sit at my right hand. Yeah, right, oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's uh, a different one. Like yeah. yeah, that's different. Yeah. Then. So, no. How does Psalm two end? No, so Psalm eighty two. Oh, Psalm eighty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you are gods. Uh, yes. You're sons of the Most High, but you will yeah. die like mere men. Yes, right. yes. And then, and then the last verse is the psalmist. So, so it's talking about them uh, losing their power. Uh, but the last verse is the psalmist, pleading, praying to God, arise and repossess the nations. Right? This is essentially what he's what he's saying. Judge them, right? And and repossess them. Okay. So you got that? I think I think so. We got this so. we got this this background. Okay. Let's revisit then Revelation twelve, uh, and and uh, some of the imagery there. So we have this child in Revelation twelve, who's said to be the ruler of the nations, he's repossessing them. And it's perhaps not as simple as a process as Psalm eighty two. Uh, would hope it to be where it just you know the prayers God arise and repossess the nations kind of thing. Uh, here we have the son who's viciously pursued by this other well this other great sign appears and in Greek uh, again I love this it's a mega pyros dracon that mm. <laughs> you can almost probably guess what that means in English but translated as a great red dragon uh right this huge seven-headed adversary what wonder wonderfully depicted by william blake by the way in his engraving so he's got a wonderful uh, illustration of the great red dragon by the okay, way okay well to, uh, so please do check that so, out yeah yeah and, and, and unsurprisingly the adversary wants to just devour this child right and, and and okay so that's the scene now what do we see happening well there's the mother of christ so mary uh is queen of heaven who gives birth to this child uh, all right, so th that's um, what we have uh, happening in that uh, scene. Again, if you want to reread Revelation 12, uh, go for it. Uh, but let's let's um, speaking of infants though and children, that that's um, fleshes out a little further. Um, now, who would have thought? Uh, are you ready for this? That um, infants would have our children would have such a prominent role in the cosmological landscape. I mean, you have a, a young uh, son. A, would, would, do, you, do you view him as a great uh, spiritual warrior or, or someone who has great uh, significance in the, the hierarchy of being? I don't know. He seems to rule our home pretty thoroughly. <laughs> but there's, a, there's a kind of uh, authority that he commands that way. Um, but outside of our house, uh, I know I wouldn't say so, you know. Okay, so well, that's interesting. So within the domicile, it's like, yeah, he does have this this great yes yeah, dominion within the domicile. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Okay, well, well, that might be something too. We could uh, there's 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 maybe there's something there yeah, sure, okay. for reflection. So so um, again, going back to stars and and so on and angels. Recall, of course, in Genesis one, we hear in uh, day four that's the sun, the moon, and the stars which rule the heavens, which connects to Genesis two one, where God creates the heavenly hosts, uh, right? The, the rest of the spiritual beings. All right, and. Humanity in Eden, and this is this is much more clear though in Psalm eight, uh, is said to have dominion over all things, including the spiritual realm. And, and this parallelism in, in Psalm eight is, is is fairly clear. God's name resounds throughout 
the cosmos. You have the, the sun, the moon, the stars, which are mentioned, the work of his finger, uh, while humanity, and it's also led by this messianic figure, the son of man, so it's Adam and the Ben Adam, uh, right, uh, will have all the work of God's hands subordinated to them, or, or to him, or to them, through him. So it's what's interesting here is you'd expect humanity to have a pretty lowly status in the grand scheme of things, right? Uh, but it turns out that, uh, like in Eden, we're designed to have this place of utmost eminence, uh, even above the angels in God's plan. Now, again, you might pause and wonder, like, humans more privileged than spiritual beings. That, that, that seems absurd. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't do, are we all that special? I, if I'm looking in the mirror or if I'm looking across the microphone, I can safely say, well, perhaps maybe looks mm. seem to be a little bit deceiving. Today happens to be uh, Ash Wednesday and we have these uh, ashes on our forehead to remind us of our uh, mortality and this, mm-hmm. this we're just from earth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Psalm 8 also says that it's on the lips of children and of babes that God will silence his foe and mm. the rebel in due time. So, but this event has to wait for well, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Meshiach, uh, to break these bonds asunder. This is the one who will go up against the judges, the archons, the rulers, of uh, the angels of the nations. All right, so hopefully this, this cosmological picture is... is getting a little clearer, more, more precision, more detail, higher resolution. And this is a, um, again, there's a point of reference that you'll see in St. Paul's writings, as well as the author to the Hebrews, where you have this uh, cosmological reconfiguration of the uh, spiritual order that transpires in God's begotten Son, uh, God's anointed. Okay, now, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Mary as That had crossed my mind, yes. 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 Okay, okay, we're getting there, we're getting there. Uh, but it's worth... One more strand to pull together here. Uh, let's consider Galatians. Uh, we'll, we'll go into Galatians chapter 4. But here, okay, time for pop quiz. Uh, School and Fawcett, what is Galatians about? Like if you had to sum it up in a sentence or two. It's basically, oh, well, it's Paul tearing his hair out that the Galatians <laughs> yeah. insist upon going back to uh, subordinating themselves to uh, well, to the Judaizers, to Old Testament regulations, yeah. right, which have been abolished. Uh, they've been nailed to the cross. So, oh, foolish Galatians, you know, who has bewitched you that you would go back and do this? You make Christ's cross of no effect. It's the gist, I would say, of Galatians. Right, right. And, and so in uh, chapter 3, Paul spends most of his time talking about the law, Abraham, and Christ's connections to them. And at the close of chapter 3 of Galatians, there's this often quoted, very poetic passage uh, that those who have been clothed in Christ, uh, whether man or woman, slave-free, uh, Jew, Gentile, have become one in Christ. And, right, so having been clothed in baptism, right? Okay, keep that, that image of being clothed in Christ in mind as we go. Okay, now that's how chapter 3 ends. At the beginning of chapter 4, at least the first half of chapter 4, Paul's actually speaking about the dangers of falling back into something else. He's talking about the dangers of falling back under the sway of spiritual forces of the world. In other words, not reverting to slavery under uh, judges, the archons of the nations. Uh, and in uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, Paul says, So with us, when we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spiritual, uh, the elemental spirits of the universe. Now, this, of course, is not God's intended plan, uh, as is clear as Genesis 1 and Psalm 8 and so forth. But given the state of rebellion, we were imprisoned by these elemental spirits. The word in Greek there is stoichia, uh, which um, it probably better translates spiritual elements, but in any case, the stoichia of the cosmos. Now, the term Paul uses here for children is nepioi. Nepioi. Now, it, it could be translated as infant. It literally means those who can't yet speak. Mm. Uh, now, sometimes it are babblers. Uh, so so it, it can mean mm. someone who's not quite educated yet as well. But literally, it means babblers. Someone who can't yet speak. Mm. Uh, or sometimes it can be used for a word for a minor. Now, what's interesting about the term nepioi is it's the same term that Psalm, uh, sorry, the Septuagint uses in Psalm 8 for infants and babes whose praise will bring silence to the cosmic enemies mm. of God. All right. Now, in case 
you've, you gloss over. Uh, you're just thinking about the, the Jewish, Gentile, uh, old uh, Mosaic Covenant, New Covenant thing in mind. Uh, Paul will remind us about this five verses later. So this is in verse 8 of, of chapter 4. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. In other words, you were, we were in bondage uh, to angelic rebels, the Elohim of the world, of this world. Now, the good news, okay, there's good news here, this is sandwiched in between, uh, is that God does more than free us from bondage in sending his son into the world, who is born of Mary, the born of a woman in the fullness of time. Uh, in verse 5, uh, we're told that via the reception of the Spirit, we too are made sons and daughters of the Most High. Now, to you, it's probably hard, I'm guessing, to anyone to imagine or, or wanting anything more than divine filiation, right? <laughs> so, so to be made a son or daughter of the Most High. Can you think of any, wanting anything more? Uh, well, I, in a sense, that's what every sin is. It's thinking, oh, I could become a divine son or daughter of God, but I think I'd rather have this... I'd rather uh, indulge in gluttony. Oh, okay. I'd rather eat sure, one sure. extra hot dog or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in, in a clear-headed, rational uh, moment of lucidity, no, I can't imagine anything higher than that, being a part of the family of God. You okay, know? well, it gets better. No kidding. Yes, it does. It does. We're not just sons and daughters of the Father, but Paul says, as he finishes that passage, we're also heirs. Okay, so also heirs. Uh, now, what does that mean, to be an heir? Well, heir is a term also applied to Christ in Hebrews, in the opening of Hebrews. We're told he's the heir of all things. Right? Uh, and a few lines later, this is verse 4 of the opening chapter of Hebrews, he has inherited, uh, so it's the same term there, a name far above the angels. So he's exalted far above them too. Right? Okay. So this with this reconfiguration then of the spiritual order in mind, along with uh, the return of the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve to their rightful place vis-a-vis -vis the angels, uh, we can go back now, I think, to Revelation 12 and more fully appreciate Mary's status uh, and her state there. Uh, and that's right. So she's, what do we see here? She's crowned, as noted, with the stars, clothed with the sun, standing in the moon. And again, this is not a Marian interpolation of the you know, 4th century or the 14th century, but a clear New Testament plank upon which the Christian place in the cosmos rests. So again, what do we see? Well, the, also we see the disordered spiritual forces, like the, the mega dracon, right? Who, you know, the rage and foam uh, at the woman. But the ordered ones, symbolized by the sun, the stars, and the moon, Again, that's an echo of the rulers of Psalm uh, of, of, of day four, Genesis one, serve, support, enhance Mary, who is the new Eve, right? Just as they were supposed to serve, support, enhance Eve and her offspring in Eden. So, in the hierarchy of being, then it's not exceptional but vocational for humanity to be above uh, these other spiritual beings. It's almost like that. That first will be last, the last will be first. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and why not? Well, it's, 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 I mean, it's by virtue that we are clothed in Christ, mm -hmm. uh, right, right? The Son. So, um, and this reordering is shot through in, in, and you see this in the New Testament, in Paul's writings in particular. So, like in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, where Paul's continually uh, contrasting the wisdom of the archon, uh, the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Uh, which is overturned uh, right, by the hidden wisdom of God that's now revealed in Christ and made manifest in the spiritual vocation of the saints of this world vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the angels. All right, now, some might say, hang on a second. How can Mary, a human, possibly look like that in the afterlife uh, with these elements of the cosmos and service of her and, and, and fair enough i guess it's a fair enough uh, a question i mean we're used to seeing and interacting with other people of of the earth uh, but our destination in the afterlife 
is is not a materialistic one, right? Now, uh, okay, I'm just curious. Do you ever wonder what you're going to look like in the afterlife? I do. <laughs> I really, yeah, frequently. How old will I be? Yeah. Right, will I be 33 years old like Jesus? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, right, right, right. I think about this, uh, to be frank, with... Uh, with elderly people and with children uh, who died, right. actually. Will, okay, will they yeah. be babies in heaven? Will they right. still be elderly in heaven, yeah, but like yeah. in good shape? Yeah. You know, how, how will that go down? I have my own theories about it, but uh, but tell me tell me the, the scriptural answer to that. Go well, we'll, how, uh, we'll contrast that to an answer from a materialist first. Mm, okay. uh, and here I'm thinking of Jeremy Bentham. Now, do you remember Jeremy Bentham? Oh, unfortunately, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember things? Okay. Well, uh, he... Um, He's the founder of um, utilitarianism, mm-hmm. uh, so just for reference. Uh, and it's a, a materialist, someone who just believe in, in, in matter, right? Uh, and what's fascinating is that he wants to create, or he, he it goes ahead and creates this auto-icon. Uh, so that's an image of his own self in the afterlife, stuffed with straw. And this process, they attempt to, mum, according to his instructions, mummify his body. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Check out his auto, auto icon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still on display at, at London University yep. College. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in truth, though, it's not his actual head. It no, the head's fake. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it shriveled badly. It's uh, and, and so like a scarecrow, actually, is what it looks like. It's like a scarecrow somebody misplaced. Yeah. Like they, they were afraid crows were going to get into the university headquarters <laughs> or offices, and so they put this... Uh, they thought Jeremy Bentham would scare them off or something. Is that what it comes across to me? Yeah, but. yeah. But, but okay, so there he is. I mean, it's a wax head now, but nonetheless, uh, you can check it out. Now, Bentham's attempts, I think they help accentuate the point Paul's making. Uh, this is later on in 1 Corinthians when he's speaking about the resurrection. Uh, and he tells us in, in verse uh, 49 of chapter 15, he says, We are born of an earthly uh, icon is the word in Greek. Uh, image is usually the translation in English. Uh, but we will bear a heavenly icon, uh, right? So, or a heavenly image uh, of the human being in the life to come. So, uh, there's the, the earthly icon which we see now, uh, which, which Bentham tries to replicate. But Paul reminds us, no, there will be a heavenly icon which we will bear. So, hailing Mary as Queen of Heaven, this vision we see in Revelation 12 is then a proleptic anticipation, uh, I would say, of God's, the, the fullness of God's plan unfurling. Can we just take a moment and talk about prolepsis? What is prolepsis, Dr. McClarney? Oh, well, it's something, an event that um, is, is occurring now, which is um, reminding us or foreshadowing what is going to happen uh, in, in the future. Uh, is it not really going to... That's right, yeah. It's a, it's a realized eschatology kind of a thing. It's right. the, the now that anticipates the not yet, basically. Yeah, so. and, and the, the classic um, way to think of this would be the Beatitudes. The very first Beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the rest of the Beatitudes, except for the very last one, are all proleptic. The future, the, mm-hmm. they, they, the meek will inherit the earth. Uh, the pure in heart uh, will see God, and, and so on. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, peacemakers will be sons of God. Okay, so so our so this is the um, yeah realized eschatology. So our uh, now, um, so Mary then is this proleptic anticipation, right, of this heavenly icon which we will. Um, bear, um, and, and also it reminds us of this. God's great plan of reconciling or recapitulating all things uh, in, uh, in himself according to his design. Now he wants us, it certainly seems, his children, likewise, to become heirs, right? And as, as heirs, to live out our vocation with cosmological significance, which, which is a great wonder, uh, certainly to myself. And this is Paul saying, very much the same thing in, in Galatians in chapter 4, that section, verse 9, he says, Now the elemental spirits, the stoichia, they've been made poor, right? They've been rendered weak. So we don't want Paul to keep pulling his hair out by going back uh, to these uh, being enslaved children of the stoichia, venerating the moon, acknowledging the months, and subjecting ourselves uh, to the weakened and impoverished spiritual authorities uh, once again, who've been cast out, who've been made poor. So in short, we want to call in boldness right, to Abba, our Father, and to the church, our spiritual mother, whom Mary, the new Eve, epitomizes. Uh, right? So seeing that Salve Regina is proleptically 
joining in the cosmic triumph that awaits the sons and daughters of the church. It also, though, I think, it, it, interesting to think of this way, it weaponizes uh, us in the struggle, right, against the mega dracon <laughs> and his allies, right, who set themselves up in Babylon, this, this anti-Eden. Uh, so from the outside, I mean, you might not look that impressive in the mirror. I know. I, I don't. <laughs> but that's just from the outside, right? Uh, in the cosmological order of beings, we might not seem to, um, I mean, we might not uh, think that we can uh, outrank or compare to the Archon, the rules of Babylon. But God sees us differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as the children of Israel are, you know, worried about the giants in, in, in uh, occupying mm-hmm. Canaan, right? So as babblers, as the Napioi, right, our hymns, and um, make God's name resound throughout the earth. And as militia members, uh, the saints, who are utterly unimpressive physically, uh, we're actually spiritual warriors, allied with the sun, oh. right? So Our Lady Queen of Heaven then reminds us that those reborn in Christ and in Mother Church are co-heirs with Christ, meaning all things become subject to us as well. So again, hailing Mary as Queen of Heaven, it's not an extrapolation or an interpolation of the biblical text. It's central to the sweep of salvation history. And so, um, again, it's acknowledging that uh, we're no longer imprisoned to the hostile spiritual forces. They rage and form, but the chaotic waters cannot overtake us. Uh, now, again, maybe I perhaps to paraphrase Paul here, we could say our boast is in Christ uh, for we're clothed in Christ and we're not going back to prison, <laughs> mm. right? So, uh, yeah, despite what we might expect of the babblers and earthen vessels like ourselves, we're told that hold fast to Christ. We will reign with him, with all the saints, right, in Zion, and above all, with his mother, who now stands above the cherubim and the seraphim. So this is our hope, right? This is our faith. Um, Okay, so with that in mind, what, 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 do you have any uh, thoughts there about our, our cosmological position as in, in, in the universe? Or is... Yeah, well, there's quite a bit. So I think, like, tell me if, I could, if this is a fair summary of what you're saying. Is it something like uh, we were supposed to, as human beings, uh, reign over the cosmos as Scott's family. Uh, we forfeited that in our sin. Christ has restored us to that. Uh, and that is epitomized in the Blessed Virgin Mary. That by her being the queen of heaven, what that represents is that we all are restored kind of to this um, position of reigning, of inheriting the nations with Christ, as co-heirs of Christ. And she, she's, she's our kind of forerunner, or she represents us, or how does that go? Right, right. Well, it's the new Eve, right? So so Eve is the mother of all the living. I mean, that's uh, significant that she's called that after the fall. So God's blessing still continues. Uh, they will be blessed, and life will continue. God's plan will continue on after. But yes, as the new Eve, um, he, uh, right, so she, this is the position which we could have had in mm-hmm. Eden. Um, and so, yeah, this, this is a, a great vision which... Uh, well, it makes me think, it makes me think about the Gospel of John. Yes. Because the Gospel of John has a strong new creation motif. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, the first couple of chapters, uh, you know, if you count up the days... Right. That lead up, right, that lead up to the Ooh, wedding of Cana, good, right, or yes. seven, seven days, you That's know. Right. So it shows there's new, it opens with this, and it may have been an, an interpolated hymn, but it opens uh, with a reference to the creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, obviously invoking Genesis, right? Yes. So this is sort of a new uh, Genesis that's going on in Jesus Christ. Um, and obviously, if, if you're going to redo creation... Uh, that's the recapitulation that Irenaeus is talking about. The first time God created and put humans there, we messed it up. Yep. We gave it over to the devil, who yeah. the Gospel of John calls the prince of this world. He, yes. he, he's ruling instead of us until Christ comes. Yeah. Uh, but in order for Christ to take that back from the devil, yeah. he has to, as Irenaeus says, do what we failed to do. Yeah. He has to, Adam and Eve failed the test, Jesus has to pass the test. Yeah. And just to jump, just to keep going with that, but just to add their wedding feast to Cana, he says, my hour is not yet come, yes. right? Yeah. But when he says, my hour is fully here, now the, uh, the forces of darkness have been overcome. Yes, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. So, so that parallelism going on from the wedding feast of Cana there to his hour of glory, glorification. Sorry, okay, continue. Sure, absolutely. Yep. And, and 
Our Lady is present through all this, right? She's yes. present, right, yep. at the um, wedding at Cana, uh-huh. uh, which is on, which is also on the third day, is how it opens. So that's a pro. Uh, if you're still wondering about prolepsis, here'd be a proleptic yeah. anticipation. Is that at the wedding at Cana occurs on the third day? It says at the beginning of John chapter two. That's anticipating uh, what's going to happen uh, <laughs> much yeah. later in the Gospel of John. But we all, especially if you've been listening, you should know that. First of all, the temptations in the desert are Christ undoing what happened in the Garden of Eden. Yep. Right, they're tempted in Eden, yep. luscious, gorgeous forest. Yes. Uh, Jesus is in the barren wilderness, and yet he resists the temptation. Then we go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane parallels the Garden of Eden. Once again, there's a temptation offered to Jesus, and he rejects it. But then there's another Edenic imagery, piece of Edenic imagery, if you look closely, which is when he's on the cross... Right. Yes. Uh, he's on the tree, right? Which is how it's referred to in the New Testament. Yes. And in some very nice hymns as well, yeah. bringing that out that the cross is a tree. So you have Christ, the fruit of Mary's womb, hanging on the tree of the cross. Yeah. And there are two people present there: the woman. Yes. Which is the only thing uh, Mary, Christ's mother, is only referred to. He only refers to her as woman, all yeah. throughout the Gospel of John. Yeah. Uh, now, she's not the only person he refers to as woman, but she yeah. is only referred to as woman by yeah. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. There's the there's woman, and there's the beloved disciple, who are standing in front of the tree. He was the son, right? Yes, son. and and Christ says, uh, "Woman, behold your son." Yeah. And to the beloved disciple, son, behold your mother. Yes. Right. Uh, and I think you can make a parallel too, just like in the wedding at Cana. There's a new family being created. Uh huh. Yeah. Right? There's a new family kind of being created here, and but what you have that is. Just like in Eden, you had a man and a woman standing in front of a tree. Yep. You have the same thing here. The woman and the man sta- doing what Adam and Eve should have been doing. right? Yep. Standing before the tree and submitting to God's will. You know, right. Because the yep. beloved disciple and Mary, ex- I mean, they don't flee. They don't try to stop us. They accept um, that Christ has to do this. Yep. And this is interesting because Christ is the new Adam. He's the second Adam. Yes. But in this particular moment, the role of Adam is being played by the beloved disciple. Who yep. is in this moment given to the Virgin Mary, the new Eve, to be her son. Yes. Right? So this is the beginning of the new humanity. Right. So again, I think this I think this tracks well with what you're saying. And of course, yep. this is by John, it's Johannine literature, just yep. like the book of Revelation is. Yep. And, and okay, after he says, Behold uh, your mother, do, do you recall what happens next? The next, uh, how it what, what unfolds? The next? sequence then? Oh, is that well, what well, well, it basically says, uh, well, what I'm getting at is it's, the word hour is brought up again. Ah. And then so you're the hour of Cana. I mean, the hour is throughout John's Gospel, but then the hour of, when, um, of glorification. And now the, from that hour, he took her into his home, mm. uh, which is the oikos, right? Our, our domicile. But that's the model then for the church, this this new home, this new uh, domicile, mm-hmm. uh, domestic uh, residence in which our God is our father, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Mary here as the mother uh, and us as the, the sons, right? The daughters. So what that makes me think of is that, yes, uh, John 19 and Revelation 12 are commenting on each other or explain each other, right? For us to be that new restored humanity doing what Adam and Eve were meant to do, we have to be, you know, as, as Pope Francis says, whoever does not have Mary as their mother uh, does not have God as their father, right? The, the process of being divinely affiliated uh, comes through becoming a child of Mary. That's what it means to become a child of God, uh, which explains what's going on in Revelation 12. And, and I'll say this other thing before I, just before I forget. Sure, sure. When I was Protestant, yeah. the explanation for Revelation 12 was, well, that's not the Virgin Mary. That represents oh. the people of God. Right? Yeah. Because uh, that is a motif in the New Testament, right? The yeah. church is collectively the bride of Christ or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the thing is that the Catholic interpretation doesn't necessarily exclude that, yeah. right? This woman in Revelation 12 can be both the Blessed Mother and also, in a sense, the Church. Yeah. Because it's sort of through her uh, that the, the, the spotless virgin that, that, that Paul says he wants the Church to be. Yes. Right? Yeah. I, I'm trying to prepare you as a spotless virgin for your, you know, the groom that is Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. Um, it's both. It's both singular. It's both the Virgin Mary. But because we are all her children... Uh, through baptism and through being joined to Christ, her son. Uh, yeah, that woman also also is all of us. Yeah. Uh, but we get there through her, you know, yeah. by virtue of her. Yeah. Which I think, again, I think supports what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I just quickly, interesting, like St. John uh, Henry Newman, 
comments on that passage and says, um, yeah, you know, perhaps this could represent Israel because, you know, the 12 stars and so on, mm-hmm. um, or, or perhaps the church. But he says, you know, generally in Scripture, it, you don't see that type of symbolism for Israel. Um, or and it doesn't quite make sense for the church because the church doesn't give birth to Christ, uh, right? So it's, it's well, it's, Augustine says we kind of do though because every time you convert somebody to Christianity, well, right, okay, and, and you... Paul Paul will call the Corinthians yeah, mm-hmm. his child, right, or his children, uh-huh. right, and he's their father in in the faith. Um, but uh, Henry Newman or Saint Newman is pointing out is that well. Yeah, it's it's Mary who gives mm-hmm. birth to Jesus. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and one other interesting fact, I mean, our um, connection there with with the Gospel John uh, talking about the, the oikos or the, the the new church, the church which is birth right at the tree in this new Eden of uh, Calvary, um, is that Revelation tells uh, those who do His will, Jesus' will, um, the, the, the mega dragon goes to do a wage war against them because those are her children. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, Mary's uh, not just uh, fitting to call her mother, but we see this in Revelation as well. Uh, that uh, yes, uh, those are, those are her children, uh, those who go and uh, do Jesus' will. Who, of course, the adversaries when they're going to uh, take counsel together against mm-hmm. uh, with these other forces to go up against the um, uh, this the Lord's anointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where I think the the, the book of Jeremiah. At the time Jeremiah is preaching, the world still is in control, in thrall to these elemental spirits. Right. right? This is yeah. still the situation of Deuteronomy 32, right? God has assigned the nations to, uh, to put them under spiritual powers. Yeah. But, which, by the way, John Henry Newman, to speak of him again, yeah. talks in his autobiography that this was one of the earliest things that nudged him towards Catholicism. Was okay. becoming convinced of the idea that nations had uh, spiritual intermediaries controlling them, like okay. angelic forces controlling them. Yeah. So seeing that in scripture, he said, kind of warmed him up to the idea of you know angels being involved and, okay. and all right, this sort right, of right. thing. Like it kind of it kind of started as a young Protestant yeah, uh, yeah. started pushing him in that direction. Um, but at the time of Jeremiah, yes, that's what the Queen of Heaven is. It's one of these evil, hostile, demonic forces that God has sort of subjected the world to until Christ comes. Now, there's been a huge interruption. There's been a big change that's happened. It's sort of like um, not having uh, graven images of God, right? Right. Um, Because because God did not appear to you on Mount Sinai. Well, now God has appeared in flesh, so that commandment takes on a new meaning now. Right. Uh, not having graven images of God. Now, now we can have iconography regulated by Christ. Uh, similarly, the Queen of Heaven that Jeremiah is talking about has been defeated. Yeah. Right. She's been kicked off her throne. Yeah. And we're back up there. She's like Jadis. Yeah. Yes, very, yes, yes. And, well, goodness, yes. So it's yeah. exactly, yeah, it's like the end of yeah. the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? right? Yeah. Uh, she, the, the pretender has been thrown off, and uh, now, the, now the four children... Yeah. It's a nice uh, comp- connection there. Yeah. Are they're sitting on the thrones, ruling right. on behalf of Christ, on behalf of Aslan? Yes. Uh, you know, so I think that the, that's that's something to keep in mind too when you're reading through the story of the Bible. That it is a story. You can't just kind of pull out one chapter, yeah. uh, or you know, or one section. You got to read the whole thing through and yeah. read it literarily. Um, I also like it. I just wanted to point out. It occurred to me when you oh, said yeah. we're we're uh, you know children. Who can't speak yet, babblers, you know, yeah. infants, uh, and yet we're also soldiers. So would you say this is God's infantry? <laughs> yes. Well, I refuse Ooh, to let this podcast yes, end without making yes, that joke. Yes. But um, which is actually the etymology of infantry? It is related to the word infant. So I'm, okay, I'm on solid go. ground here. Yeah, very nice. Um, now let me ask you a question, sure. though, a okay, practical fair. question. Yeah. What do you think today it would look like to put ourselves back under the control of the elemental forces? Oh well, that's how do a Christians great fall question. into that? Let's yeah. say. Um, well, if we're looking at say what Augustine's pointing out in the City of God is that uh, whenever you have, if you're, uh, maybe even back up to Plato, but if you're controlled by an idios, okay. So if you're contro- which is which would mean what an oh, idios is? A- uh, well, we could loosely translate it as ideology mm-hmm. uh, right? or or idol, idol or idol. Okay, okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. He says, he, Augustine points this out, is that in, in Roman times, I mean, you had the, um, yeah, this is more of a Chester idea, the gods behind the gods uh, before. You had these good intentions that humans had when they set up the structure of their society. However, they get out of control, and the state can become absolutized, as can uh, this, this cult that becomes absolutized. So there's these gods who are not gods um, but as much as they're treated as gods they become 
images gateways for the demons. Mm-hmm. Right? Augustine's going to point this out, right? So uh, what was had no power whatsoever um, now has become a, a stepping stone for demonic forces to have control. So what today we can see this is humans might have great ideas that they come up with or wherever its, its origins are ideas that we advocate and espouse and put into place and plans and so on, but then they can come out of control. And Augustine says, uh, you know, others have pointed out, um, well, you know, Vero and so on, we could have just altered our customs, uh, or sorry, why didn't we just alter our customs? Vero says, like, I, I could have just made them more rational, the, the structures of society that we had, made them more rational so they made a little more sense. But he says, I couldn't. Why? Because they've been entrenched in the the way the world works. It had been entrenched in custom. And that was revered. We can't change it. So yeah, I think whenever we have a reverence for ideology, can't be changed, or it has this exalted status that it can imprison us. And it gets beyond control. It's like a, a genie that's let out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's, it's an, it's, it, it, it can um, ensnare, enslave once again. We become beholden, no longer free. Mm-hmm. Right, as children of Eden, right, mm-hmm. as children of God, but but under the sway of uh, Edios and, and 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 these structures which we set up with good intentions, however, they can be manipulated then mm-hmm. uh, and and bent towards dark purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it makes me think, I think this will be my last comment okay, sure, sure. Uh, as we come kind of to probably the end of our time, yeah. is that this makes me think of what the Blessed Virgin Mary as Queen of Heaven, what that means for our political situation in the oh, world right. today. Okay. Yeah. Um, because, well, first of all, let's think of the Magnificat. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, right, right. She talks about you cast down the mighty from their thrones, thrones, right? Well, first of all, that, I mean, that's got an obvious transcendent. I, I, that's always funny to me because if you look at her external situation, none of this is happening. <laughs> right, yeah. she's sure. still she's still this poor girl, you know, yeah. who, who probably is looked at sideways. Yeah. Uh, right, she's poor enough that they, you know, they have to give the offering of the turtle doves right sure. when they present Jesus yeah. because yeah. that's the offering for poor people. Right, right? Um, they they can't even find room in Bethlehem. You know, like right. Right. this is not this, this is not obvious case of the mighty have been cast down from their right. thrones, and yet simply by virtue of carrying Christ in her womb, this yes. has already happened. It, Proleptic, right. proleptically, again, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, the, the powers of evil have already been overthrown and she's already been raised up. Yes. Now, this does, but this does find fulfillment in the end, realized eschatology. In the final eschatology, that's when Satan's power will be completely defeated and all the kingdoms of the world. Everything in Psalm 2 will happen. Right. Everything that Handel sets yes. to music in that yes. amazing section, you know, yeah. he will break them. Right? Yes. Uh, I heard a wonderful, I went to a live performance once of that uh-huh. where they actually had like... Um, what do you call it, castanets. They made a crackling noise at oh, that well, part. It was okay. fantastic uh, yeah. here in, I think it was at the Jubilee here in okay. Edmonton. Oh, um, but so in a, in, right now, what does that mean for putting things into effect? And what I think of is the 1984 People Power Revolution in the Philippines. Okay. Um, Philippines uh, had been for a oh, oh, decade and a half under yeah. martial law, right? Okay. Led by Ferdinand Marcos, okay. uh, father of the current president. Yeah. And Many uh, Christians, especially Catholics, were opposed to this, of course, yeah. including uh, the, the Cardinal of Manila, whose name, I'm not joking, was Cardinal Sin. Sin yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, but he, uh, eventually a revolution did break out on Edsa, uh, which is a street named after the saints. Yeah. Um, and not a single shot was fired, actually. Lots of people were praying the rosary. Um, because, and because it was nonviolent, a lot of the soldiers and military couldn't bring themselves to shoot, right? Um, and Marcus just had to flee. I mean, it's really an incredible story. Uh, what was interesting was this happened in um, '84, uh, which John Paul II, uh, I believe it was '84, yeah, because uh, John Paul II had said uh, that was the uh, anniversary of the birthday of Mary. Okay. All right. And now I, of course, I say this out loud. I believe it was '84. Okay. Because '86, Mary would have been like 14, I guess. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but sure, I do sure, remember. Sure. I know that okay. was the year yeah. that John Paul II had yeah. kind of identified as we're going to commemorate the birth of Mary, uh, two thousand years since the birth of Mary at that yeah. time. And the whole revolution had a very Marian character to it. Like that was in, Cardinal Sin invoked that, okay. and Hail Marys were being prayed as a result of that. Yeah. And it seems as though God blessed and prospered it. Um, yeah. And that Marcos what, and his and his wife with her gigantic shoe yeah. collection <laughs> she, yeah. uh, were indeed cast down from their thrones. Right. And uh, and and. Uh, the, um, Oh, 
my Filipino wife will be upset with me if I can't remember this, but who uh, took over uh, Ramos? No, um, Aquino. Ah, there we go, Aquino. Uh, the widow of a freedom fighter, right, who, who had been killed almost certainly by Marcos, uh, is then raised, you know, this, this uh, unassuming housewife is raised to the position of president of the Philippines right, as a response okay. of it. You know, now, not, that's not to over-spiritualize everything that happened, but it does seem like if you want to look at uh, what that means now of breaking the powers of this world, right, uh, the Marcos regime sure looks like what you're describing, right? Yeah. Um, a, a political leader being deified, or at least the power of the state being deified. Absolutized. Con right. yeah, absolutized. So it, right. it replaces absolute truth. is mm -hmm. replaced with the absolute state. Right. The yeah. And he calls it constitutional authoritarianism, actually, because yeah. he rewrites the Constitution to allow for this. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. But that is broken simply by the power of uh, not putting up with evil, but also imitating Christ, imitating the Blessed Mother, right, yeah. in her lowliness. And the spirit seems to move, seems to act. And you have this... And, I'd say a small proleptic anticipation yeah. of this, of these powers being broken, of some justice being restored through the activity of the church. Not, not just the hierarchical church, although ideally that too, like cardinal yeah. sin, but the church as, uh, as the people of God, right? right. Acting it out, uh, taking, taking seriously God's promise to them uh, that he will bring about justice and the kingdom of God, right? If we, if we pray, if we, if we pray that his will is done in ourselves, uh, maybe it'll be done in society too. And having the Virgin Mary at the core of that, like that's the queenship of Mary on display. Uh, that would be my final thought to tie it to, let's say, social studies class. Sure. Uh, yeah. Since we've already made connections to music and art so far. Right, right. Uh, nice. In this lesson on theology. Dr. McClarney, is there anything else you want to, well, I say that as a, is there anything else we have time to talk about I, before I think we we're conclude? Pretty much, we're pretty much uh, come to our time, but is, I guess with renewed vigor, I, I suppose we'll pray like the, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. We're praying the Magnificat or, or the Rosary uh, and, and, mm -hmm. and seeing this, this greater sweep in which uh, this vast cosmos, yet uh, not an empty one, but certainly one in which we're brought into that divine filiation as members as, of, of God's family, sons and daughters, uh, with Mary, uh, mm -hmm. our mother, uh, and the great esteem which God has for us babblers who bear mm -hmm. this earthen icon. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a, a great anticipation, which we, is realized now through the liturgy, through the sacraments, uh, and, and, and through our, our uh, through others through 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 our encounter with Christ uh, in this world and His kingdom, so mm -hmm. it's it's a uh, I guess it's, it's a great way to. Uh, so if you're if you're taking up uh, ro more rosary recitations for Lent, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe this is something to so, keep in the back of your mind as you're as praying. You're praying. Yes. Uh, so should we, ought we close with the Hail Mary, or? Well, yeah, let us pray. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, God bless everyone.